the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to be live and back in studio. Today's program is produced by James Blend. Clark Hilton, back from vacation, is engineering today's program. Today we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Gregory Jans. He's the author of Healing Depression for Life. The personalized approach that offers new hope for lasting relief. He'll be joining us for much of the five o'clock hour. So I hope you'll join us. Meanwhile, taking a look at some of the day's headlines. Actually, before I do that, I want to mention we're going to be giving away copies of Stephen Curtis Chapman's latest book. It's an autobiography between heaven and the real world, and two tickets to Stephen Curtis Chapman's Acoustic Christmas Concert. The concert, by the way, is coming up Sunday, December 15th, 7 o'clock p.m. at Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin. Today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday, we'll be giving away the, uh, uh, the book, Between Heaven and the Real World, and two tickets to Stephen Curtis Chapman's Acoustic Christmas uh, Concert. And by the way, we'll be doing that today during the 4 o'clock hour, just a quick heads up. Well, the Trump administration released a sweeping plan last week that could remake the U.S. housing market, starting with ending more than a decade of government control of two massive companies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That back half of the nation's mortgages. Now, according to the Washington Post, recall that um, these entities were considered too big to fail, were bailed out by the federal government during the uh, House meltdown uh, that the Democrats oversaw some years back. And even this plan um, incorporates a taxpayer contingency plan. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would pay taxpayers a fee in return for a government guarantee in case they fall into financial trouble. Again, the Post adds, meaning a too big to fail mindset remains. Well, the Department of Justice has sent a package of legislative proposals on gun violence to the White House. A person familiar with the matter uh, has said this was last week as the debate raged over how lawmakers and the president should respond to a recent spate of deadly mass shootings. The White House has had the, the proposal for a couple of weeks, according to the source, but has yet to send anything along to Capitol Hill. It wasn't immediately clear what proposals were included in that Department of Justice package. Wegmans, Walgreens, and CVS, at least two of those are local, all banned open carry in their stores on Thursday of last week, following the same gun policy change from Walmart and Kroger um, the day before. Unlike the other retailers that only call for a ban of open carry, CVS advised all customers except for authorized law enforcement officers to totally refrain from carrying at all in their stores. On a related note, according to the Washington Free Beacon, Walmart clarified its new policy on ammunition sales a day after its CEO announced the retailer would stop selling certain ammunition, but didn't specify exactly which ammunition. Walmart Senior Director of Communications Delia Garcia says Walmart would only sell ammunition capable of being used in the remaining firearms they sell. Tangentially, Tucker Carlson and Neil uh, Patel observed, uh, notice that Walmart still plans to sell the remainder of its AR-15 ammunition. This couldn't really be about saving lives. Obviously, it's about the money, end quote. National Review reports that authorities believe the gun used in the drive-by shooting in Midland and Ote- Odessa, Texas, 
uh, this past uh, weekend was illegally manufactured and sold by a Lubbock, Texas man. The U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives is currently investigating a man who they believe illegally manufactured and sold AR-15 style rifles. The assault used uh, style used to kill seven people and injure 22 more on Saturday last before he was shot and killed by police. In related news, National Review also reveals that Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, last week issued eight executive orders aimed at preventing mass shootings after two massacres last month left the Lone Star State shaken. I doubt that resolutions will accomplish that, but it is a move in that direction and effort. Via The Hill, CNN's seven-hour town hall on climate change with 2020 uh, White House contenders finished last among the three cable news networks in terms of average total viewers, according to early numbers from Nielsen Media Research. CNN averaged 1.1 million viewers from 5 p.m. to midnight, the hours devoted to back-to-back town halls by 10 Democratic contenders. MSNBC finished second with 1.7 million total viewers during the the time period, with Fox News winning the time period with an average 2.5 million. The Hill also notes that the average 1.4 million tuning in to CNN for the event was well above its average in prime time in 2019. Yet it still couldn't match MSNBC or Fox. For an issue that's uh, an existential crisis, viewers don't seem particularly interested in hearing about it. Perhaps maybe not that format. Well, the Department of Energy announced this week, uh, this last week, that it's uh, withdrawing the Obama administration's energy rationing uh, mandate for certain light bulbs. Opponents criticized the rule change, arguing that the move would be bad for consumers and the climate. The reality is that the the families and businesses will be better off and the change will have a negligible impact on the environment, opponents say. Well, the U.S. Department of Education has levied a $4.5 million fine against Michigan State University, a mere pittance for its systematic failures to address the sexual abuse committed by Larry Nassar, the MSU and USA gymnastics doctor who admittedly uh, sexually assaulted his patients for decades. And in fact, reports were made decades ago, but unheeded. Robert Mugabe, the controversial president of Zimbabwe, who was forced to resign in 2017 after decades in power, died at 95 last week. Mugabe took power in Zimbabwe after white uh, minority rule ended in 1980. He blamed Zimbabwe's economic problems on international sanctions and once said he wanted to rule for life. Despite Zimbabwe's decline during his rule, Mugabe remained defiant, railing against the West for what he called the neo-colonialist attitude and urging Africans to take control of their resources, which, of course, he himself did, living in the lap of luxury until his death. Job growth continued at a tepid pace in August, with non-farm payrolls increasing by just 130,000, CNBC reports. The headline unemployment rate remains at 3.7. However, wage growth remains solid, with average hourly earnings increasing by 0.4% for the month and 3.2% over the year. Both numbers were one-tenth of a percentage point better than expected. Furthermore, the labor force uh, participation rate is at a six-year high at 63.2%. Economic growth may not be as strong as what President Donald Trump promised, but much of that is because of near full employment and also because he's using a strong econom- uh, economy rather to coerce China into a fairer trade agreement. The initial result is internal bleeding, but the final outcome may be worth the preliminary 
um, a price. We'll have to wait and see if that, in fact, is the case. And peace talks between the U.S. and leaders from Afghanistan and the Taliban have been called off after the Taliban admitted they were behind a deadly bombing in Kabul last week that resulted in the death of a U.S. soldier. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said this Sunday the Taliban overreached and showed that they cannot be trusted to move forward with a peace process at this point in time. What they did here was they tried to use terror to improve their negotiating position. President Trump revealed the existence of the planned talks and their cancellation Saturday night, announcing that he had intended to hold a secret meeting at Camp David on Sunday, but called it off due to the Taliban's role in the attack. Chris Wallace, host of Fox News Sunday, pressed Pompeo, the Secretary of State, about the idea that the President of the United States was willing to meet with the Taliban on U.S. soil just days before 9-11. The Secretary did not address the timing, but defended inviting the Taliban to Camp David, which, by the way, was controversial even within the administration. And Congress's August recess has come to a conclusion. The legislative chamber uh, face a broad array of issues with spending, trade policy, guns, and an expanded border wall, all potential flashpoints. The Wall Street Journal reports, adding to the complication, lawmakers are already keeping an eye on next year's elections. That will be the primary calculus for the two parties' leadership in the lead-up to the 2020 election, meaning more bulwarks, more obstruction, more rhetoric and more grandstanding are the only sure bets. Progress legislatively? Well, perhaps not so much. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, by the way, um, Dr. Gregory Zance, Jance will be my guest in the five o'clock hour healing depression for life. We're winding our way through some of the top news stories of the last several days. Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee are looking to formally define what Chairman Jared Nadler has referred to as impeachment proceedings against the president. Leading ranking member Representative Doug Collins, a Republican out of Georgia, believing uh, that they're committing a travesty. In quotes, Democrats on the committee are planning on a voting on how the investigation is defined through a resolution that would set the boundaries of the probe, Political reported. Collins uh, pointed out that he believes um, uh, problems with how Democrats have conducted their investigation, claiming that they've acted outside the boundaries of House rules and may have made misrepresentations in court filings. They portrayed themselves in just a terrible way over the last eight months, and they keep digging their hole, he said. We'll see what the uh, courts have to say and how this moves forward. It's a developing story. And as Congress heads back to work, which was today in Washington after a six-week recess, um, by the way, they take more time off in October, lawmakers who already have struggled to pass substantive legislation this term are set to grapple with a slew of combustible issues ranging from trade deals and border wall funding to gun control and impeachment, as mentioned a moment ago. With an already heated presidential cycle in full swing, experts have said the political landscape would... uh, uh, would afford little hope for legislative compromise, but plenty of opportunity for gamesmanship and stonewalling. To top it all off, lawmakers also need to fund the government by the 1st of October to avert another government shutdown. The drama never ends. Thousands of students formed human chains outside schools across Hong Kong on Monday to show solidarity to push it for democratic reforms for violent weekend clashes in the semi-autonomous Chinese territory. The silent protest comes as the Hong Kong government condemned the illegal legal behavior of radical protesters and warned the U.S. to stay out of its affairs. Thousands of demonstrators held a peaceful march on Sunday to the U.S. consulate to seek Washington support, but violence erupted later in the day in a business and a retail district. 
Tech giants are facing greater legal risks than ever before, opening up the possibility that they may have to pay big money to resolve probes alleging unfair business practices against them. Coming under increased scrutiny on Friday were Facebook and Alphabet Inc.'s Google unit. Separate antitrust probes into the two big tech firms are expected to start, uh, according to the Wall Street Journal. Perhaps as early as today, I haven't uh, uh, read what happened earlier today, but we'll report on that tomorrow. President Trump late Sunday took to Twitter to identify his own success in criminal justice reform and called out celebrities for not acknowledging his efforts, namely singer John Legend and his um, wife. Uh, He characterized her in a particular way. Certainly seems beneath the uh, president to haggle between two celebrities over who should take credit for um, reforms, but that's what happened. Iran said on Sunday, or rather Saturday, it was now capable of raising uranium enrichment past the 20% level and had launched advanced centrifuge machines and further breaches of commitments to limit its nuclear activity under the 2015 deal with world powers. The 2015 pact curbed Iran's disputed nuclear program in exchange for relief from sanctions, but has unraveled since the United States pulled out of it last year and acted to strangle uh, Iran's oil trade to push it into wider security concessions. Importantly, Iran was already violating the nuclear deal even before the U.S. abandoned it. Iran is now exploiting the U.S. withdrawal and twisting its own um, uh, machinations as vindication for more blatant violations. On a related note, former Defense Secretary Jim Mattis is admonishing Barack Obama for pacifying Iran. In a highly unusual move, three senior leaders of a SEAL team were dismissed on Friday due to a loss of confidence in their leadership skills only weeks after a unit in Iraq uh, was sent home accused of sexual assault and the platoon chief of another unit uh, was convicted of posing with a casualty. Naval Special Warfare Command said Rear Admiral Colin Green relieved them because their leadership failures caused a breakdown of order and discipline within two units while deployed to combat zones. The men will remain in the Navy and they are not accused of any misconduct themselves. The number of migrants caught crossing the southwest border continued a sharp decline in August. Border Patrol arrested roughly 51,000 migrants in August, a 30 percent drop from the previous month. The latest Figures signal that counter-migration measures instituted by the Trump administration may be reducing the number of border crossers. Border arrests rose from July to August in eight of the last 10 years, which suggests the current drop is not related to recent historical patterns. And former Governor Mark Sanford on Sunday said he will mount a primary challenge to President Trump in 2020, jumping into the race after publicly toying with the idea for several months. Uh, However, the odds are greatly stacked against Sanford and other Republican challengers. As CBS News reports, the Republican parties in South Carolina and Nevada announced Saturday that they would not be holding their presidential nominating contests in 2020, and all Republican delegates will be committed to President Trump. They joined the Kansas Republican Party, which confirmed on Friday that it will not hold its caucuses in 2020 either. Own a rifle? Got a scope to go with it. Well, the U.S. government might soon know who you are, where you live, and how to reach you. That's because the government wants Apple and Google to hand over names, phone numbers, and other identifying data of at least 10,000 users of a single gun scope app. Forbes has discovered it's an unprecedented move. Never before has a case been disclosed in which American investigators demanded personal data of users of a single app from Apple and Google. And never has an order been made public where the feds have asked the Silicon Valley giants for information on so many thousands of people in one go. 
Think Progress, the influential news site that rose to prominence in the shadow of the Bush administration and helped define progressivism during the Obama years, has shut down. The outlet, which served as an editorially independent project of the Democrat Party, uh, Think Tank Center for American Progress, or CAP, uh, ended current operations on Friday, will be converted into a site where CAP scholars can post. And a few shortcuts. For the record, we're going to kill a lot of poor people in Africa so rich Americans can feel good about their environmentalism. The mining for precious metals for our electric cars, etc., will end badly, but rich progressives will sleep well at night. Quote from Eric Erickson. And this from Senator Elizabeth Warren. What could possibly go wrong? That's not a quote, but this is. On my first day as president, I will sign an executive order that puts a total moratorium on all new fossil fuel leases for drilling offshore and on public lands, and I will ban fracking everywhere. First day in office. Amazing lack of awareness, part one. A society is judged based on how it treats children. This administration will be judged harshly. That's a quote from Senator Kamala Harris, who supports the slaughter of millions of in utero babies. An amazing lack of self-awareness, part two, from Planned Parenthood. The size of your body doesn't define your worth. Both quotes, this one from Planned Parenthood. And last, the big lie. I don't get wrong things like we should lock kids up in cages at the border. A quote from uh, Vice President, former Vice President, now candidate Joe Biden, whose administration devised said cages. On this day in history, 1956, Elvis Presley makes the first of three appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show, featuring songs he largely borrowed from people who were not welcome on the Ed Sullivan Show. On this day in 1776, the Second Continental Congress makes the term United States official, replacing United Colonies. On this day in 1850, California becomes the 31st state of the Union. And on this day in 1948, the People's Democratic Republic of Korea, or North Korea, is declared. On this day in 1960, in the first regular season American Football League game, the Denver Broncos defeat the Boston Patriots 13-10. to They'd like to do that in 2019 as well. On this day in 1971, prisoners seize control of the maximum security Attica Correctional Facility near Buffalo, New York beginning a siege that would end up claiming 43 lives. And finally, on this day in history, 2009, in a speech to a joint session of Congress, President Barack Obama calls on lawmakers to enact sweeping health care legislation, declaring the time for bickering is over. Oh, would that that were true. By the way, Representative Joe Wilson, a Republican out of South Carolina, shouts, you lie when the president says illegal immigrants would not benefit from his proposals. 2009, this day in history. Coming up, we'll talk about the uh, Taliban and the president announcing that uh, negotiations with the Taliban are dead and the notion that a uh, secret Camp David summit raised the ire of many believing we do not negotiate with terrorists and certainly days before the anniversary of 9-11-2001, we shouldn't welcome the Taliban onto U.S. soil. More on that and much more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We want to give away a copy of Stephen Curtis Chapman's autobiography, Between Heaven and the Real World. And we want to give away two tickets to Stephen Curtis Chapman's acoustic Christmas concert that's coming to Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin on Sunday, December 15th, 7 o'clock p.m. So we would love to give this um, first giveaway to caller number four and the number to call 800-845-2162, 800-845-2162. Again, the concert is um, 
Coming up on Sunday, December 15th, which will be here before you know it, 7 o'clock p.m., Rolling Hills Community Church in Tualatin, a great venue for concert. It is uh, his acoustic Christmas. He's a great guitar player, great songwriter, great vocalist. It's going to be a wonderful evening. And again, we're giving away his autobiography and two tickets to his concert. You can go to kpdq.com, by the way, for more details on that. Uh, Tickets are now on sale. Caller number 4, 800 845 Well, President uh, Trump declared today that peace talks between the United States and the Taliban over the war in Afghanistan are dead, his choice of word, after canceling secret plans over the weekend. Secret plans, I suppose that should also be in quotes, uh, over the weekend for a Camp David summit. They're dead, they're dead, as far as I'm concerned, they're dead, he said. End quote. The president made the comments to reporters as he departed the White House to board Marine One. Over the weekend, the president said he'd intended to hold a secret meeting on Sunday with Taliban representatives at Camp David, but called it off due to the Taliban's role in a deadly bombing in Kabul last week that resulted in the deaths of uh, a U.S. soldier, the death singular. Uh, they, well, in this case, singular. Uh, they thought they had to kill people in order to put them in a little better negotiating position, the president said, and went on to say, you can't do that. Uh, you can't do that with me. Well, his tweet was surprising because it would mean that the president was ready to host members of the Taliban at the presidential retreat in Maryland just days before the anniversary of the September 11th, 2001 attacks. More than 2,400 U.S. troops have been killed since the U.S. invaded Afghanistan to go after the Taliban, who were harboring al-Qaeda leaders responsible for 9-11. He defended his intention to host the Taliban at Camp David, saying there have been plenty of so-called bad people brought up to Camp David for meetings. The alternative was the White House, and you wouldn't have been happy with that either. Well, the president wants to start withdrawing thousands of remaining thirteen to 14,000 U.S. troops from the country and eventually end U.S. involvement in the conflict uh, that is um, closing in on 18 years. The Trump administration's diplomat uh, talking to the Taliban leaders for months has said recently that he was uh, on the threshold of an agreement with the Taliban aimed at ending America's longest war. The president, however, has been under pressure from the Afghan government and some lawmakers, including Senator Lindsey Graham, who mistrust the Taliban and think it's too early to withdraw American forces and to include the Afghan government. On Thursday, a Taliban car bomb exploded, killed an American soldier, a Romanian service member and 10 civilians in a busy diplomatic area near Near the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, the bombing was one of many attacks by the Taliban in recent days during the U.S.-Taliban talks. The Secretary of State said Sunday that they have overreached and show that they cannot be trusted to move forward with a peace process at this point in time. What they did here was they tried to use terror to improve their negotiating position. The best thing to be said for the planned Camp David meeting with the Taliban is that it didn't happen, so says the editorial board at National Review, they shouldn't get within 5,000 miles of Camp David, they argue, and many others as well, even those among the the administration's um, close circle of friends. President Trump has a weakness for the the grand gesture, hosting leadership of a vicious terrorist insurgency that aided and abetted September 11th and is trying to kill Americans as we speak, certainly would not be, uh, would rather have been memorable. The invitation was part of the effort to bring to a conclusion negotiations that were close to a deal, although not one favorable to the interests of the United States. The deal envisioned the U.S. reducing its current troop presence of roughly 15,000 down to zero about 16 months from now, at which point any commitments the Taliban had made would be worthless. We understand the frustration with a war that has lasted 18 years, but it would be foolish to end the endless war of our 
uh, or are part of it, with the Taliban once again in position to threaten Kabul and harbor international terrorists who mean us harm. We've had recent experience with a president following through on campaign pledge to end a war no matter what. And, of course, Barack Obama had to order troops back to Iraq when ISIS took over a swath of that country. Meanwhile, the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo warned that conditions for the Taliban were about to get worse as accusations flew over the stalled peace initiative. Um, I'll leave. uh, He went on to say, I'll leave it to the Department of Defense to talk about specifics. Uh, But no one should underestimate the president's commitment to achieving these goals. Pompeo did the round on Sunday television talk shows to answer questions about the president's tweets in which he revealed plans to host the group's leaders. The president said he canceled the meeting and called off peace negotiations. Paratrooper Sergeant First Class Ellis Barreto Ortiz, 34, of Puerto Rico, became the 16th U.S. soldier or Marine to be killed in combat in Afghanistan this year. The Secretary of State joined Barreto's wife and two young sons at Dover Air Force Base on Saturday night to receive his remains. Over the past 11 months, U.S. Envoy uh, 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 Khalidazad has uh, had nine rounds of talks with uh, Taliban representatives in Doha, Qatar, in an effort to negotiate an end to the the uh, country's longest war and bring home U.S. troops, currently at 14,000. But on what appeared to be the cusp of an agreement, the president is now recalling the uh, envoy on the Sunday shows. Pompeo pushed back at the notion that the U.S. has been standing still, even as the Taliban attacks continue, despite the talks, disclosing that U.S. forces have killed more than a thousand Taliban fighters in just the past 10 days alone. Well, Republicans on the House Oversight Committee are calling on their Democratic colleagues to provide more details about a series of trips taken to Mexico while staff were touring border detention facilities with reports that at least one Democrat has been involved in coaching migrants there on how to exploit U.S. immigration law. In a letter to Chairman Elijah Cummings, ranking member Jim Jordan said there were at least two committee staff trips into Mexico in August, one of which required Border Patrol agents to provide a special escort back into the United States. And although you have the authority to direct committee staff to travel internationally on official committee business, you have not explained why you authorized this travel into Mexico or what you sought to learn through these trips. He wrote, adding that Republicans were not notified of the trips. Jordan went on to accuse Democrats of seeking to delegitimize the administration's border security efforts and vilify the men and women who protect our border. He said GOP members are concerned the trips could continue to result in misleading information about the administration's border security efforts. Specifically, Jordan highlighted a report that said Representative Veronica Escobar, a Democrat out of Texas, was in attendance on one trip to Tijuana in August. Escobar, who is not on the Oversight Committee, has been a vocal advocate of left-wing policies on illegal immigration. According to the Washington Examiner, staff from Escobar's office recently coached migrants uh, on how to exploit federal immigration law, including telling would-be border cro- uh, crossers to pretend they cannot speak Spanish to exploit a loophole that would let uh, them into the United States. Escobar responded by calling the article fabricated and fueled by xenophobia and misinformation. In the letter, Jordan asked Democrats a number of questions, including what the purpose of the visit was, which individuals and groups they interacted with, why Escobar's office was invited, and what coaching on immigration laws, if any, was given to migrants. The letter marks the latest controversy over Democrats' trips to the border. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security had barred staffers from the uh, com- committee from visiting custom and border protection facilities at the U.S.-Mexico border during a trip after staff were allegedly disruptive and refused to follow instructions. 
That controversy continues and we'll follow the story. Meanwhile, House Democrats are accelerating and expanding their Trump-focused investigations as they return from summer recess. As the president rejects the latest round of ethics complaints and his allies warn that the ever-multiplying probes could derail the Democrats' legislative agenda. In the latest major development, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jared Nadler announced a vote for later this week that will essentially formalize the early stages of impeachment proceedings following weeks of confusion. A committee vote is scheduled for Thursday. Thursday to set the rules for future hearings in its investigation to determine whether to recommend articles of impeachment against the president. The unprecedented corruption, cover-up, and crimes by the president are under investigation by the committee as we determine whether to recommend articles of impeachment or other articles, Article 1 remedies, Nadler said in a statement on Monday. He added, we will not allow Trump's continued obstruction to stop us from delivering the truth to the American people, end quote. Well, the new procedures would empower Nadler to hold full or subcommittee hearings as part of an impeachment investigation. He also announced that the committee would hold a hearing for former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski, uh, whom they subpoenaed last uh, month on September 17th. And they're opening an investigation into the president's payment of Stormy Daniels. Uh, They're set to open that investigation uh, into payments, and um, the Judiciary Committee is planning, the House, Judici- House Judiciary Committee is planning on bringing witnesses and holding hearings as soon as October. They said they have enough evidence to name the president as a co-conspirator after Michael Cohen, his former attorney and fixer, pled guilty in August to campaign finance charges that stemmed from payments made to Daniels and McDougal. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Dr. Grave Jantz. He is the author of Healing Depression for Life, the personalized approach that offers new hope for lasting relief. It's coming up. In our next hour, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz announced on Friday morning that he is officially abandoning his exploration of an independent presidential campaign. But the billionaire said he plans to spend significant funds to transform our broken system. Schultz, in a letter posted on HowardSchultz.com, cited general voter apathy, institutional roadblocks to an independent candidacy and back woes among the reasons for not seeking the presidency. My belief in the need to reform our two party system is not wavered, but I have concluded that an independent campaign for the White House is not how I can best serve our country at this time. I will spend this election cycle and the years ahead supporting bold and creative initiatives to transform our broken system and address the disparity of opportunity that plagues our nation. And billionaire investor Tom Steyer has qualified for the fourth Democratic presidential debate in October. He entered the Democratic primary after the second debate in July, missed the deadline to qualify for the third primary debate in September. He spent millions of his own money on ads to catch up to some of the more established candidates, spurring accusations that he bought his way into the race. Steyer barely missed a spot in the September debate, falling one qualifying poll short. At an August 28th deadline, Steyer had amassed more than 130,000 individual donors and it hit 2% support among Democratic voters in three qualifying polls. For the fourth debate, the Democratic National Committee will accept polls used to qualify for the third debate to count toward the four needed to earn a spot on the stage in October. The CBS U government poll released on Sunday pushed Steyer over the edge, showing he had hit the 2% benchmark for Democratic voters in Nevada.
And former South Carolina Governor Mark Stanford uh, announced Sunday that he is running for president as a Republican, becoming the latest to challenge President Trump in the GOP primaries. Stanford said the Republican Party is facing an identity crisis and he wants the GOP to take a look at itself and do some soul searching. I think we have to have a conservative a, a conversation rather about what it means to be a Republican. He's told Fox News Sunday, claiming the party has lost our way. Stanford specifically made reference to the debt deficit and government spending. Our other conservatives expressed concern about these issues when Trump helped Congress pass a spending bill that increases spending caps and suspends the debt ceiling, allowing for more government borrowing until the 31st of July 2021. Senator Rand Paul blasted his colleagues at the time, saying it marks the death of the Tea Party movement in America. Sanford also challenged the president's tactics when it comes to trade, saying that engaging the world when it comes to trade is one of the hallmarks of the Republican Party. He also brought up political culture, which he said has been damaged by Trump. We need to have a conversation about humility, uh, Sanford said, blasting Trump's social media habits by claiming that a tweet is not leadership. Representative Bill Flores of Texas uh, became the latest House Republican to announce plans to retire at the end of his current term, saying he wants to spend more time with his family and resume private sector business activities. After much prayer over the past few days and following conversations with my wife, uh, Gina, during that time, I have decided that my current term will be uh, my last Flores is 65. He was first elected in 2010. He is the 15th member of the House Republican Caucus, five of them from Texas, to announce a resignation, retirement, or plans to run for another office next year. By contrast, only three Democrats have announced plans to voluntarily exit the chamber, which their party currently controls. The attorney for uh, the woman who made unsupported allegations of sexual assault against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh admitted that she and her client, Christine Blasey Ford, were motivated by their support for abortion. The admission, first reported by Ryan Lovelace's new book, Search and Destroy, inside the campaign against Brett Kavanaugh, was confirmed with video footage, tarnishing the reputation of a justice who would have the power to overturn abortion. Uh, Roe versus Wade, the law, is part of what motivated Christine, her attorney, Deborah Katz, said. Elections have consequences, but he will always have an asterisk next to his name, she said, of Kavanaugh. His nomination for the Supreme Court was nearly derailed by last-minute unsubstantiated allegations that he had uh, attempted to rape Ford when they were in high school decades prior. She said she feared he might uh, kill her as well. No evidence emerged in support of the allegations, and the four witnesses Ford named all denied any knowledge of the incident. She said she was unable to remember the date or the location of the alleged event or any other specific information that could be independently evaluated. The witnesses, who included uh, Ford's longtime friend Leland Kaiser, said they remembered no such event, even though some of them remembered the summer in question quite well. Nevertheless, many in the media found her to be a sympathetic character, particularly after she gave emotional testimony repeating the allegations in front of a nationwide audience. Um, We'll just leave it. Um, at that. And less than two months after the Justice Department initiated a wide-ranging antitrust review of big tech companies, 50 U.S. states and territories led by Texas announced today their own investigation into Google's potential monopolistic behavior. Monopolistic. That would be monopolistic. 
The announcement uh, closely followed one from a separate group of states Friday that disclosed an investigation into Facebook's market dominance. The true probes widened the antitrust scrutiny of big tech companies beyond sweeping federal and congressional investigations and enforcement actions by European regulators. A key issue in the state's probe is whether Google is abusing its market dominance in online search, advertising, and mobile operating systems to unfairly gain leverage in other markets, stifling innovation and harming consumers. And although anti-conservative bias against Google's leadership has been documented and frequently draws the ire of top Republicans, the antitrust probes do not uh, expressly relate to those concerns. And the largest federal employee union in the country is suing the Office of Special Counsel over a seemingly mild exhortation to career bureaucrats, please do not report hashtag resistance or impeachment movements during your working hours. The American Federation of Government Employees, the largest and most powerful federal employees union in the country, has challenged this directive. They claim that the Office of Special Counsel's guidance memo violates its members' rights of free speech. If the American Federation of Government Employees wins its legal challenge, the career bureaucracy will become even more intractable and insulated from accountability. In its November 2018 guidance, the federal employees, or rather two federal employees, the Office of Special Counsel points out that federal employees are barred from engaging in overtly political activity under the Hatch Act, at least while they are at work. This limitation has ordinarily been applied only to electioneering activities, not issue advocacy. Well, in in concrete terms, while bureaucrats cannot attack up Campaign flyers in their cubicle, they are free to display a Save the Whales poster. And while the union contends that promoting the hashtag resistance or impeachment is more like the latter than the former, the office disagrees. In its guidance memo, the office argues that terms like resistance are inexorably linked to the electoral success or failure of the president. Insofar as impeachment would bar an individual from serving as president, such statements are also clearly directed at the failure of that candidate's campaign for federal office according to the office. Um, Whether the office is um, correctly interpreting the Hatch Act is, in a sense, beside the point. The fact that our laws or any plausible interpretation would allow career bureaucrats to openly promote resistance to the president and remain at their post is somewhat troubling. How this will ultimately be resolved? We'll just have to wait and see. Well, Sandra Merritt and David DeLayden from the Center for Medical Progress are charged with felony charges under Penal Code Section 632 of intentionally and without the consent of all parties recording confidential communications and another court account of conspiracy, rather, to violate Section 632 in connection with undercover videos they released in 2015. The law states conversations are not confidential when there is a reasonable expectation they will be overheard and undercover taping is allowed when those doing so have a reasonable belief that they are collecting evidence relating to a violent crime. Well, an abortionist was impeached in a conversation in the hearing that continued in this back and forth over whether or not the uh, Center for Medical Progress violated the law in videotaping these conversations. One of the videos played in court included uh, Doe 9 discussing, that's one of the uh, medical directors at Planned Parenthood discussing her participation in selling baby body parts during a lunch in a public restaurant. What a conversation over food. Donine told the court on Wednesday that she was shocked by the video because of her two-hour lunch with Merritt and Delighton was edited to make it seem as though she said things she did not. But in the hearing, she was forced to admit that, no, what they presented in the video was precisely what she had said. It had not been doctored and that she was not concerned that the videos uh, be made public because earlier in her 
statements indicated that she um, had nothing to fear. Well, she does now. We're running out of time, but we'll revisit that tomorrow uh, with that and some more gruesome disclosures in the hearings that are ongoing as to whether or not these two will face felony charges. News and traffic up at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest, Dr. Greg Jan, says sometimes the solutions we want are not found in the answers we adopt. He says something is amiss in the United States, and we keep looking for cures in the wrong places. The numbers keep growing, and overprescribing drugs is not solving the problem. Well, Dr. Jans is a specialist in depression and addictive disorders. He says we tend to deal with symptoms rather than get beneath the surface to see what's happening in the heart and the soul. He explains that depression can often have various causes, unforgiveness, addictions, toxic emotions, and even stress. In his latest book, The Inhealing Depression for life, Dr. Jantz, he identifies three deadly emotions. One reason we see an uptick in mass shootings, for example, the misuse of technology and so many other things. Well, the book is titled Healing Depression for Life. Dr. Gregory Jantz is our guest to talk about just that. He is a certified eating disorder specialist, a certified chemical dependency counselor, a nationally certified psychologist, and a licensed mental health counselor. The author of 39 books, Dr. Jantz is the founder of the Center, a place of hope listed as one of the top 10 facilities for treatment of depression in the United States. He brings a message of hope and healing to audiences uh, through seminars, conferences, and media all across the country and is a much sought-after speaker and uh, uh, consultant. We are so grateful to have you with us today, Dr. Jans, to talk about your latest book, Healing Depression for Life. Now, the title may seem to some of our listeners too good to be true, but first of all, welcome. It's good to be with you, and this is a such an important topic. We all know somebody probably who's struggling with depression. Can we begin by just defining what depression is? If I'm uh, feeling tired and stressed out, is that depression? Are you talking about clinical depression, or uh, is there a, a definition that includes all of that? Sure. You know, and depression comes in many different flavors, if you will. We mm-hmm. hear different terms to describe it. Uh, what I'm talking about today, though, uh, it, it's that depression. Uh, it's been over a month, and things aren't getting better, and you've told yourself, uh, you know, you've tried to shake it off, and, and some reason you wake up and that dark cloud is still there, and you're trying to figure out, oh no, what do I do? And everything you've tried, it hasn't worked so far. So that's what we're talking about. It's a depression that just lingers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, depression, you start out by uh, saying that you've been there. You share a bit of your own journey. Would you share that with our listeners now? Yes. And, you know, I've been treating depression for 36 years here at A Place of Hope, and I want to let you know I have walked through it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that um, I just was dealing with chronic high stress and not now chronic high stress can move you over to depression and anxiety. And so I probably had the helper's disease. I, I had great intentions, as most people do, and you just keep saying yes, but you forget about your own self-care. And eventually, your body physically is sending out signals, and emotionally, you're not being renewed, and spiritually, you're not being renewed. And you find yourself at a place going, what in the world has happened to me? So I, I've walked through, and I made it sound real simple, but it took me a, a year or so to really come out of all that. 
Now, you believe that um, there is an uptick in the diagnosed incidence of depression, um, that they're higher than ever. Why do you think that's the case? Well, as we look at depression, and even, I'm glad you asked, the World Health Organization, they tell us that depression is the number one, they call it a disability, the number one disability in the world. My goodness, that's incredible. How do you do that uh, in the world and have depression above heart disease and cancer? Well, one of the things that we know is true is that um, depression is on the increase with uh, 12 to 17-year-olds, uh, 50 and above, we have high numbers. And so it's affecting the world, not just the United States. Mm. Now, what are some of the reasons you cite that leave you to believe that uh, we're losing the battle with depression? I, I think for many of us, we're loath to put a label on it. We don't know to seek help for it because we're not really sure whether or not we qualify as being legitimately depressed. But why do you think um, uh, we're losing the battle with this subject? I think because we're just looking for a singular approach to it. Um, and what, by that, I mean, you, you feel like, man, something's wrong, and you do the right thing. You go in and see the doctor, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, you, you get a prescription, you fulfill it, but that's all you do. Only, only a medication approach. And then months pass and you go, wow, you know what? I, I'm just not doing that great. And that's because we just used a singular approach and not a wrong approach, but we want to add to it. Uh, we want to look at the whole person. We want to look at what are all the possible reasons. We're, we're all a thousand piece puzzle. And there's a lot of different pieces. There are unique pieces to our puzzle. And we need to look at what are those pieces that are missing. And uh, that's why we do things as a team. That's why uh, I believe you have to look at the whole person. Now, one of the the, um, the things you mentioned earlier was the fact that people are given a, a drug to help deal with the issue, but very little else. What are some of the common treatments for depression that are not working, perhaps um, in in a singular case of a drug without anything else? What are some of the uh, common treatments? Uh, in the Well, one of the things that we look at, we look at, are there nutrient deficiencies? What are, What's causing the imbalance in the body chemistry? Is there um, trauma in the person's life, early trauma, abuse, physical trauma? Uh, we also look at is there medical conditions that could be leading to a possibility of depression. For example, one real common one is the person who's had chemotherapy and uh, they suffer from a, a physiological depression and it, it seems to take them a long time uh, just to move out of that. So there's medical reasons for depression. Mm. In what specific ways does overuse of technology erode mental health, if in fact oh, it does? yes. Technology. Do we get to talk about technology today? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what we know. If you're already depressed and, and today you just spent most of your day or tonight online, on Facebook, wherever, in social media, you're going to end up feeling worse. Uh, social media, when you already are on the borderline of depression, social media will cause you to feel uh, more depression symptoms, more anxiety symptoms. And why is that the case? Because we tend to compare ourselves with others. Um, what, what is it about that setting in social media that contributes to depression? Well, one of the things that happens is uh, we're looking for a relationship, we're looking for a connection, and it doesn't happen in social media. Social media, we tend to compare ourselves. 
Uh, we tend to feel inferior after spending time online. <laughs> it's a kind of a natural condition. Mm-hmm. You feel you feel worse, not better. Mm. You write uh, about the uh, the heart of any addiction is impulse control. What's the link between impulse control and depression? Oh boy, we live in an instant society. We want everything right now. And our kids are used to living that way. We kind of live in an age of entitlement as well. And everything's one click away. And I can I can go over to Dr. Google and get all my answers <laughs> very quickly, right? And so we're used to instant. Well, if I can't cure my depression fairly quickly or instantly, uh, I grow more frustrated. When I say low impulse control, that means um, I, I can sometimes appear random and sporadic. And so that's important to look at impulse control. Can I control my impulses? If I feel depressed, am I secretly drinking or overusing medication or engaging in addictive behavior? What's going on if I'm struggling with depression that I could be attempting to self-medicate? Mm. We're going we're to, I think we should probably take the break before I start something that we will run out of time on. But when we come back, I'd like to talk uh, to you about uh, what you describe as continuous partial attention, which I think is something that we also uh, experience in our culture today, given yeah. social media and this need for immediate answers to what may, in fact, be long-term uh, problems. We're talking with Dr. Gregory Jans. Um, his latest book is "Healing Depression for Life," in which he take uh, for life rather, in which he takes a holistic approach. Uh, that I think you'll find very encouraging if this is a subject of, uh, about which you are struggling. We'll take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Gregory Jans. His latest book is uh, simply titled Healing Depression for Life, the personalized approach uh, that offers new hope for lasting relief. And isn't that what uh, those suffering from depression are looking and hoping for? Now, just before the break, I mentioned continuous partial attention. Um, while I'm sitting here engaged in this conversation, I have the TV on in front just in case there's some breaking news story. The Internet is uh, open on my right, and I'm engaging in conversation with you. Dis- explain for us what you mean by continuous partial attention. <laughs> well, if you've ever had lunch with somebody and they're on their device and they're texting somebody and they look up at you and they go, what did you just say? <laughs> you know, they had partial attention. And what happens is in our relationships, it devalues the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily intentional, but you end up feeling not as valued because something else has taken the person's attention. Yeah, whatever's happening on that screen is more... Uh, important than the person sitting directly across the table from you in that close proximity. And that happens quite often. People are, um, their their attention is is uh, not focused. That's right. And That's how does right. that, how does that uh, reflect or contribute to depression? Well, one of the things is we're distracted. We can't be fully present. Uh, likewise, when we're depressed, we're already struggling with concentration. It's, you know, in this new book I've, I've done, Healing Depression for Life, as great as a book as it is, if you're depressed, you've got to move really slow. You're going to lose concentration, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, just, it's hard to focus. Yeah. And so we want to be aware of that. Uh, the focusing, the uh, ability when I'm depressed 
to really see things through might be difficult. So that's something to look at. Yeah, yeah. Now, what what about long-term stress and depression? Are they linked? Does one contribute to the other? Does one exacerbate the other? Yes, if you're living under some chronic stress, be it work stress, financial stress, uh, by chronic, I mean it's been six months and this stress is not going away. Maybe it's relationship stress. Maybe it's abusive relationship. Maybe it's um, a sense of feeling controlled or oppressed. Um, whatever it is that is adding up to equal chronic stress, over time, think about that just wearing on the body physically. You're going to look for a way to cope with it. Maybe it's uh, uh, drinking. Maybe it's escapism behaviors of some kind that aren't healthy. And so that chronic stress causes you to to want to self-medicate. And when I self-medicate, what happens is I tend to do things that are not healthy mm-hmm. and that I usually I regret. Yeah. So chronic stress will lead you quite potentially down a road of of some depression, despondency, some despair. And self-medicating doesn't necessarily mean you are ingesting drugs. It can be um, entertaining yourself to death or distracting yourself in ways that are unhealthy. Well, I just thought of it. It could be food. Mm-hmm. It could be I'm, I'm secretly eating uh, to escape. So there are a variety of ways to do that. Yes. Now, one of the things that's unusual in your approach, or I should say unique, is that you really focus on the body, the mind, and the soul. And uh, you make the point that although people of faith have lower rates of depression, um, that uh, we have less anxiety and stress, it still can be an issue and sometimes is interpreted as uh, perhaps a weaker faith or um, that uh, maybe your your faith walk is not sufficient if you struggle in this area. Yes. And, and, you know, we need to look at faith and what we believe. If if you're depressed, you probably don't feel lovable. You feel like, well, how could God love me? And uh, un- understandable, because when we're depressed, we just don't feel we have much value. Now, one of the things we need to look at is uh, we may be praying and crying out to God, God, take this away from me. Uh, get this off of me. You know, we're desperate. And I hear that. And it's good. It's okay to pray desperate prayers. Uh, we may want to also pray, Lord, give me the wisdom uh, to know what I need to do. Show me the missing pieces to my puzzle. Um, but pray for wisdom. Sometimes, and for me, I made some life corrections when I went through my time of despair and depression. I made some permanent life corrections, and it changed me, and it changed the course of my relationships. So um, depression, as terrible as it is, can be an opportunity to make some changes that's going to add future joy, freedom, uh, life purpose. So there's an opportunity here. Now, you raised the topic of three deadly emotions, unresolved anger, guilt, and fear. Um, how do these, as you refer to them, terrible triplets impact depression? <laughs> yeah. Anger, fear, and guilt. I call them the three deadly emotions. Well, another word for anger could be hurt. I've been hurt. Uh, hurt's always unresolved hurt goes somewhere. Maybe I take that unresolved uh, hurt and it turns into depression. Maybe it turns into bitterness and resentment. So when you think of anger, think I've been hurt. It could be I've been betrayed. I feel that I've been injured. Uh, Fear, anxiety, and worry is a form of fear. If I have way too much fear in my life, I get paralyzed. Um, I can't make decisions. And I'm really paralyzed and 
and uh, fear is the great paralyzer. Uh, guilt? Well, you know, there's a true guilt or a guilt that says, oh, I made a mistake. I need to ask for forgiveness. Um, and then there's a false guilt, um, which could be really shame. I feel shameful. I feel like something is terribly wrong with me. Maybe I feel defective. Mm, that can so often um, so often happen. In what ways does forgiveness play a role in the, in healing from depression? Well, forgiveness... We, we, if there's one single um, area that is common to so many suffering from uh, depression, it's that of this topic of forgiveness, which is probably misunderstood. It could be a, a self-forgiveness, could be I've been traumatized, could be a forgiveness of others. One of the things that we want to become in our healing from depression, one of the things that we want to become is an initiator of forgiveness. We don't want to carry any old baggage. We want to be an initiate. We want to learn how do I forgive and move on. And I don't mean it to sound quick and easy or simple. It's not always that way. But how do I live a life of forgiveness where I'm not uh, punishing myself or punishing others? A lack of forgiveness certainly can create some depression. One of the things you encourage your readers to do is consider exercise, simply moving and the role that that plays in helping to um, alleviate or even prevent depression. Can you talk a little (laughs) bit about that? I mean, do I need to run a marathon to feel better? Well, probably not a marathon, (laughs) but movement can be really important. I have to keep moving. Now, when you're depressed, in fact, when people come here to A Place of Hope, Um, They don't want to move. Uh, You're depressed. You you don't feel like you have the energy to do anything. And maybe walking around the block is really hard. It takes all you have. And maybe you don't feel like you can even do that. So walking, movement is an important piece. We, We know that if I can keep you moving and your body stretching, everything else that we're going to do with you is going to work more effectively. Are there foods that uh, either contribute to or uh, help uh, mitigate depression? Well, there's foods that I think can make it worse. Uh, A lot of times a person on a depressed, they have a pretty high sugar or diet or fast food or a lot of soda uh, drinks. Diet does make a difference. I think of an individual who came to us. And he was, uh, he'd never been asked what was he put in his mouth. He had been depressed over 20 years, tried every medication that he was given. So he was drinking, I know it sounds amazing, 10 to 12 pots of coffee a day. Oh my goodness. And he was still standing he, upright, huh? <laughs> well, he, he just, over, over time, that's all he did was drink coffee. Oh. Now, would that, that's an amazing amount of caffeine. Would that create some problems? Would that physically create problems? Yes. Uh, and so what we put in our mouth, and I'm not saying everybody's depressed does drinks a lot of coffee, but I'm just saying what you put in your mouth does matter. If we're depressed, uh, we tend not to make the best food choices. Even drinking water can be hard for a depressed person. So you have to make yourself perhaps venture into areas that are less comfortable (laughs) in order to feel better. That's right. You do. Um, I I wonder, do you have a few more minutes? I need to take a break. I'd love to cover a couple of other issues if you have the time. Let's do it. All right. 
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Dr. Gregory Jans. The book is titled Healing Depression for Life, and what an excellent resource in thinking through some of these issues and how they might contribute. Now, of course, our conversation, as short as it is, doesn't reflect all of the great information you'll find in the book, but I would highly recommend you go deeper if you are struggling with depression and would like to heal that for life. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And my guest, Dr. Gregory Jans, has graciously consented to uh, stay with us for a few more minutes. We're talking about his book, Healing Depression for Life, the personalized approach that offers new hope for lasting relief. It's very practical, easy to apply, and helps us think through what things are contributing uh, to depression. Now, your book raises other issues that uh, contribute to depression. What are some of these, and how can we know for certain what's causing our depression? And and is it important to know what the, the the mitigating circumstances leading to our depression might be? You know, sometimes we know, sometimes we don't. Uh, usually there's, you know, one major, two, two or three reasons for depression. Early trauma, I haven't really talked about that, but uh, complicated grief and loss in somebody's life can be another factor. And it is it's important to know, um, well, you know, if I have unresolved trauma, I could take a pill, I might feel a little better, but for the long term, it's not going to get me the results that I really want to have. So we need to dig in and really understand uh, what uh, maybe some core issues could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, What about seasonal affective disorder? We live here in the Pacific Northwest. Right now I look out, there's clouds everywhere. It's been raining the last couple of days. Explain (laughs) what that is and how it impacts uh, a person's uh, tendency toward depression? Well, you know, there's there's a seasonal affective disorder. We've heard that mentioned before. And there are people that are certainly more sensitive. Uh, you know, the lack of sunlight, the lower vitamin D levels, um, all that is, is true and legitimate. <laughs> you know, people eat more maybe in the winter. So this is why I need to put together a comprehensive plan uh, to help me, you know, I, I kind of joke, of course, uh, I'm in Seattle, our facilities in Seattle, and if you can walk through everything here, you're going to do really good. Yeah. <laughs> does the adding a light source, does that actually help? There is um, so what we call the full-spectrum lighting that uh, for some, they can be fairly sensitive to it and see some results. So lighting and light... Uh, does make a difference, and even in our 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 body's rhythms, our sleep, our circadian rhythms, so that can have an effect. Mm-hmm. Now, you provide at the back of the book uh, to help people determine if they are depressed and how severe a questionnaire. Um, what are some of the key indicators, and how does that help us pinpoint what the source of my particular problem might be? Well, there's a good questionnaire, but one of the things that we need to know is, okay, whatever symptoms that you're having, have they, uh, you know, been going on? Is it over a month to two months? Are you getting more symptoms uh, versus less? And are those symptoms intensifying? In other words, I mentioned sleep. Is sleep becoming more difficult? Are you waking up in the morning and that sleep, you don't feel restful or you're waking, feel like you're waking up throughout the night and maybe your heart feels like it's pounding and you have some anxiety. So we know really the intensity and how many different symptoms 
maybe you feel uh, it's important. Maybe you feel like you've isolated from everybody. You don't have the energy to do anything. And those things are getting worse. At the end of your uh, book, you have a you cover the mind, the soul, the body. You have a chapter titled "Reinventing Your Future." For someone yes. who is in the midst of depression, what does that look like? Reinventing your future and having hope that the future is not going to be what it uh, what it seems to be now in the midst of depression. Yes, reinventing your future may look like um, having new life goals. Uh, as I walk through depression, what am I going to do differently? Am I going to do some things that prevent me from continuing to recycle in depression? Um, What's going to give me really true meaning in life? Uh, In a greater sense, you know, what's um, what I what do I feel like is God's plans for me? When I'm depressed, I can't I I can't see it or can't feel it. I don't know, but I I do know that um, life is precious and there's. A good plan. Our theme verse is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and you do have a future and a hope. Mm. And it, when you're in the midst of depression, you so desperately need to be reminded um, of that. Uh, this book is uh, a resource that's available among other resources that you are um, that you have put together. What is your hope with readers? I know that you see patients on a regular basis in the Seattle area, but what is your hope with? Um, your readers in addressing some of these uh, issues that can be so debilitating. Um, the subtitle of your book focuses on hope for lasting relief. But the resources that you have provided, how do you see those contributing to the health and the recovery of, of your readers? Well, you know, we work with individuals from all over the country and even internationally. And because of our approach, this whole person approach and doing things as a team, you know, we were voted in one of the top 10 places to get help for depression. Mm -hmm. I know how important it is to do it right. And so my hopes, and I know that, um, you know, honestly, as good as the book is, and it's good, but we may need more help. Yeah. Um, um, we, and, and today I want people, to, it's okay to ask for help. Gather more information. Yes, certainly do your best to gather, get new ideas and do some reading. But, you know, we, we will regret it if we don't ask for help um, over, over time. So make today a decision point. It's, and I just want to say uh, it's okay to ask for help and begin to gather that new information today. Yeah, yeah. At what point do you recognize I need help beyond what um, what I might be able to do for myself? I've thought through some of the issues that your book presents. Um, is there a, a turning point? Is there a switch at which you recognize I need additional help? Yes. If, the, if it's not going away and you're six months into this or three months into this, I, I would say, look, if you're still experiencing it, let's get some quality help uh, that can help us begin to find out what are those missing pieces to the puzzle. By the way, when we're depressed, sometimes our our ability to see things is, is lessened and we may need some help. We may need some accountability. We may need somebody to help us uh, have a plan to create an action plan. And that's a, a great, uh, great place to start. Well, Dr. Jans, I thank you so much for uh, your book, all your books, really. And for this one in particular, Healing Depression for Life, the personalized approach that offers new hope for lasting relief. And I think for folks in the midst of depression, that's the thing they need most is hope and a practical way to address the, the struggle and the challenge that they're facing. Thank you so much. Oh, good to be with you today. Thank you. Look forward to the next time. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Again, Dr. Gregory Jantz, he's uh, our neighbor to the 
uh, to the north. He is the founder of um, The Center, a place of hope, which was voted one of the top facilities in the United States for the treatment of depression. He's a best-selling author, 37 books, actually more than. He's a go-to media source and um, continues to identify more effective, cutting-edge forms of treatment for people struggling with depression. Healing Depression for Life, the personalized approach that offers new hope for lasting relief. Now, just a few moments, we, uh, we're coming up on our last segment. I want to remind you that this week we're giving, I should say Monday through Thursday, I don't want to mislead, Monday through Thursday we're giving away Stephen Curtis Chapman Christmas concert tickets. Uh, as well as uh, his latest autobiography. So that's going to be coming up this week. Uh, And I'll let you know what's coming up on the program for the remainder of the week. Some of the guests and topics we'll be covering over the next few days in our last segment. We're also going to talk about uh, the fact that we are losing our capacity for patience. All of that coming up in just a few moments right here on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back with our final segment. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, patience is a virtue, but it's becoming an exceedingly rare quality in modern society. In fact, our modern uh, patience threshold seems to be lower than ever before, despite the fact that we can have pretty much anything we want more readily than ever before. Well, according to a new survey of about 2,000 British adults, All of the luxuries of modern life have made most people incredibly impatient. I think that probably translates across the pond. All of the luxuries of modern life have made most people incredibly impatient across pretty much every aspect of life. Three quarters of those surveyed in this 2000 person British adult survey said they believe the dominance of digital technology, such as smartphones, on demand televisions, are to blame for this ever growing lack of patience. We expect things to come to us much more quickly and without interruption. Well, back in the day when you had to, you know, churn your own butter, you had to milk the cow if you were thirsty, you expected that, well, things are going to take time. You understood the process required in order to have your needs met. Today, not so much. Respondents report becoming frustrated after just 16 seconds of waiting for a web page to load. 16 seconds. Now, it can be frustrating because we expect you hit a button and something appears. After 25 seconds of waiting for a traffic light to change, they were also extremely impatient. Everybody has to wait their turn on the road, so that's perhaps less understandable. Commissioned by stationary supply company BIC, BIC, as we know them, the survey revealed that 38% of respondents had lost their patience while trying to take notes, keep up with a speaker during a class or work meeting, the mechanics of trying to record communication by hand. Oftentimes, all it takes is mere seconds of waiting for people to lose their cool. For example, respondents reported losing their temper after just 20 seconds of waiting for ink to dry on a greeting card. (laughs) A greeting card they just probably purchased. They didn't have to create the card themselves. They didn't have to think of what to write. They just had to sign their name and the person to whom the card was uh, going to be given. Additionally, it only takes 22 seconds for people to start cursing their computers or televisions if a show or movie doesn't immediately start streaming correctly. Surveyed Brits also reported losing their cool after just 18 seconds of searching for a pen, something as simple as searching for a writing instrument. Even a cup of tea, an undeniable symbol of British leisure time, incited anger among respondents if the kettle took more than 28 seconds to boil. You know how watched pots always take longer. Well, surprisingly, despite all that impatience, the survey revealed that most people are still willing to wait a few minutes for a package or a letter in the mail. 
Same-day service? Maybe next day is still okay. Our research highlighted, this is a quote from the researchers, uh, Joe Hollins, who's the head of marketing and category management at BIC UK in Ireland, in a statement says, Our research highlighted that we're happy waiting just 2.8 days for an online grocery order to arrive, 3.7 for a cherished handwritten bit of mail. Do people still cherish handwritten bits of mail, as the Brits would say? Thanks to technology, modern life moves faster than ever. But it also seems we're still willing to wait that little bit longer for a good old-fashioned handwritten letter, an extra day, in fact. Who's writing good old-fashioned handwritten letters, I wonder? Well, so how about going out for a nice meal? Respondents said any longer than 14 minutes spent waiting for ordered food to arrive at a restaurant would seriously try their patience if they had any. And seven minutes or more uh, spent trying to order a drink, I'm assuming that's soda pop, would be enough to send them searching for a different pub. Maybe they serve soda pop in pubs. I don't know. Much of this impatience can probably probably be traced back to the convenience and instant gratification of the Internet. So it wasn't a surprise that respondents said they expect to receive a refund from an online purchase in no less than four days and receive replies to important emails within 90 minutes because they expect that you are perched at the edge of whatever device you might be using waiting to hear from them. Furthermore, if a phone takes longer than 11 minutes of charging to turn on, that is just way Way too long. Also, among other findings, the survey revealed that respondents expect to pick up their luggage after a flight within 13 minutes, even though it may take them longer than that to get to the baggage claim area, and expect any and all customer complaints they may file to be answered within two hours and 18 minutes. And apparently they're using their phone or other device to time it. Waiting in line seemed to especially annoy respondents. 45% admitted they had lost their temper after waiting an excessive amount of time. Of course, excessive is a subjective um, period of time. But what exactly is excessive? Respondents said just 30 seconds of waiting in a line would be enough to try their patience again, if they had any, and have said that they were likely to switch to a different line if um, uh, the one they were in isn't moving fast enough. Surprisingly, 95% of respondents still admitted they believe patience is a virtue. Apparently, they're not all that interested in cultivating it in their own lives. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Chris Palmer, author of Letters from Jesus, studies from the seven churches of Revelation. Fascinating uh, letters, interpreting them, understanding them and applying can be the challenge for us in the 21st century. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Michael Lefebvre. Dr. Lefebvre is the author of The Liturgy of Creation, Understanding Calendars in Old Testament Context. Again, a very interesting subject when you consider Um, our lack of patience, perhaps our disregard for the importance of time, and so on. On Thursday, we'll talk with Charles Krismeyer, the author of Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. And we'll also talk with Justin Farrell uh, with Better Dads. There's a father-daughter conference coming up. We want to make sure you have all the important details, because if you are either father or daughter, you are invited to participate. We want to make sure that you know about it or can invite others that you think would uh, benefit Uh, to get these uh, details as well. That's coming up on the program on Thursday. And then we're looking forward to a good old-fashioned, rousing Friday program 
Uh, coming up, uh, we'll switch our gears to Friday fun. I should also mention that during the middle of the week, it's sort of an awkward transition, but during the middle of the week, of course, we will commemorate the anniversary of September 11th, 2001. This will be the 19th anniversary of that event. I believe that's right. 19 or 18? What are you saying, James? 18. Yeah. The 18th anniversary of that event. It occurs to me that uh, many of our listeners have no recollection. Either they were too young to appreciate what happened or they weren't around at that time. Uh, So we'll be uh, remembering some of those events, which explains some of what uh, has happened since then in terms of security and the concerns that uh, are prominent today that were not present just before 9-11-2001 under the Bush administration. Also, we're going to continue to give away Stephen Curtis Chapman uh, Christmas concert uh, material, his book and CD, excuse me, book and tickets, I think is what we're going to be giving away for the remainder of the um, next three days. So keep that in mind. I want to thank James Blind for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. It's good to be back live in studio. Hope you'll join us here live in studio tomorrow. Well, maybe from your car or your house or wherever you happen to be, but we'll be here live in studio. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.